Hey there, true believers, and welcome to Simply Devotion, the podcast that is all about seeking Jesus on deeper theological levels, because he is worthy of all of our devotion. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Devotion. I'm here with my co-host, Jonathan Martin, and we want to talk to you about going back to school. In this case, going back to school with Jesus. We're going to be looking at what was the school and educational system like in the rabbinical era of Second Temple Judaism, of which Jesus grew up. It's hard to believe our podcast has been just rolling out. I hope you're enjoying this season. It's been a lot of fun for Jonathan and I. Let's get into looking at Back to School with Jesus. Absolutely. This has been pretty fun. We're continuing our season theme about you know, exploring the real world of Jesus and the real world of Jesus' time. You know, what was it like when Jesus walked the earth, you know, what was his Palestine like? What was Galilee like? What was Judea like? What was Jerusalem like? But also, what was his education like? And where did this whole discipleship thing come from? Because it's, we talked about Second Temple Judaism already, right? Yes, that was uh, the previous episode, I think. Yeah, so discipleship is one of those Second Temple pharmaceutical developments that happen as Israel is scrambling to figure out how are they going to keep people holy to appease God so that they don't fall back into sin all over again. And so the rabbinical traditions begin to rise out of the pharmaceutical subsect. Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. Um, and, and I like how you put it there. You know, the, the Pharisees, their, their number one goal was to make sure that people were holy, to make sure that they were living according to the law and that if they're breaking uh, any of the norms, that it's nowhere near the law as as it stands in the Old Testament. So their goal was to develop a holiness among the Jewish people. And so in order to do that, right, they had to reach the children. They had to figure out how to train up children in a way that will make them understand what it is, what does it mean to live righteously. Pharisees were making these laws and fences around the law, and it eventually became fences around, fences around, fences around the law. So many onion-layered degrees of law. There has to be a way that someone's keeping track of it and someone's teaching it to people. And so the rabbinical schools rise up, and even the existence of the office of rabbi, which means teacher, 
You know, it can mean master, but master teacher is pretty much the same thing. The person who's in charge of the teaching. It rises up that position to, it's not really like pastor. That position is more like instructor of the laws of the Pharisees. And so then you have the rabbinical school that comes to um, formation to make sure that children from the youngest of ages are being taught about these laws, these um, educational instructions so that everyone will have a baseline of what Moses and the laws around Moses expect of them. Yeah, that's that's a great way to put it, Vinny. And so when they decided to set up this system of educating their children around the law of Moses and the prophets and the oral tradition, they decided to separate the education into three uh, distinct phases. And so the first phase that we encounter were for children ages six to 10 years old. So just think about it like, you know, a kindergartner or a first grader, right? right. They're going to, uh, to school and it was usually in a synagogue and they would go to the rabbi or the teacher or the, the leader of the synagogue and they would, uh, they would, basically go through what was considered the uh, bait safer or uh, that's that's just a fancy way or a, a different language for house of uh, the book right bait sefer how bait house safer book and so their number one goal their number one priority was to learn the Torah which is the first five books of Moses. And they didn't just had to learn it as in like, oh, let's read it and let's understand the stories and maybe the main points of these different stories. No, no, no. What they meant by learn the Torah was they had to memorize. Oh, come Torah. on. They, they had, you're serious? Like they had a, like six-year-olds are out there memorizing the Torah. Yeah, you had five years to memorize five books of the Bible. That's like a book a year. Like, okay, my child's eight, and yep. he he loves to read. It took him a while to catch it. Once he caught it, he loves it. He reads all the time. Okay, but mm -hmm. he reads the Bible, and I assign him chapters every week. But just getting him to read it and understand it, to like memorize? Yeah, it, it's it's actually kind of astonishing to think that six, seven, eight, nine, ten year old children are literally memorizing entire books of the Bible. So I, I totally understand what you're saying when you talk about your son, because I encountered the same thing with uh, my kids. And my kids, they do go to a private Christian school. And part of the requirements there is memorizing a memory verse a week, right? So we're talking about like one, maybe two verses a week that they have to memorize. And even then, 
that's a chore, right? That That's something that my kids uh, can struggle with at times, just memorizing those one or two verses a week. And, and now we're not talking about one or two verses a week. We're talking about entire books of the Bible, right? We're talking about uh, maybe a chapter a week, right? A ch- that's, that's an incredible amount of memorization. And yet, that was the initial religious education that Jewish children traditionally went through at the time of Jesus. And so it isn't a, a far-fetched idea that Jesus would have been one of these children who attended Beit Safer and began memorizing the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He would have had those memorized by the age of 10. Kind of makes sense when I think about, you know, Jesus, you know, quoting Moses as if everybody in the room understands Moses, you know, like you have heard it said, but I say to you, yeah, you know, um, and, and things like, you know, haven't you heard that Moses said, <laughs> you, you know, and, and statements like that he makes. Now, an interesting Sub-point to that, Jonathan, is some of the agnostic secular scholars would propagate an idea that the Jewish people were not very educated. They make quotes like, you know, less than 10% of anyone in the Roman Empire could read. And I'm not going to disagree with them that less than 10% of anybody in the Roman Empire could read, but I am going to say that probably of the 10% who could read, many of them came from Palestine. (laughs) Yeah, that's a fair point. Right, because how could you, I mean, to refute the scholars for a moment, we do have these texts. We do have Old and New Testament texts, and they are well known even internally with each other. So this was a highly educated, highly literate group. Now, another point I just want to bring out about um, Bethsefer is in this stage, John, which is pretty cool because it's not really the case in the later stages, but even in this stage, and now brace yourself, audience at home, I'm talking about a patriarchal society. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a different culture and a different time. Even the little girls went to Bethsefer. We don't always... Think about the way women were treated in the Bible, but they didn't get an equal shake. Mm. And and there would be no opportunity in the Bible for higher education of women. Not that you or I agree with that. But this goes to show how important bait safer is in order that everyone know Moses even women who would not be a part of formal religious education. Yeah, and, and it just shows how important uh, the first five books of Moses really are uh, for the Jewish people, that they would consider it important enough for even young girls to be exposed to this and to memorize it. Of course, the first five books is the Torah. It's, it's the books of the law. So everything else is based on those first five books. Um, so it is a foundational step. It is an important foundational step. Uh, but 
everything else that comes after it comes from the first five books of of Moses. What you're saying there, John, is really important. And it is kind of a sidetrack. And I I don't want to go down too many sidetracks. But it's a really good sidetrack. Because I notice as a pastor that many people don't understand or miss that idea that Torah, that law, that Moses was the foundation of the whole Old Testament and ergo Bible, right? So I try to explain it to my members this way. Everyone knew who Moses was. Moses is the one that led them out of Egypt. A pretty good reason to remember that dude. (laughs) We were enslaved, (laughs) right? We were slaves for 430 years. (laughs) That dude got us out. It's kind of like, you're not going to forget Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. This right? So so we know Moses came from Yahweh because Yahweh gave him the plan, showed the Pharaoh the all those miracles and parted the Red Sea, right? But we don't necessarily know who everybody else is unless they agree with Moses. Mm. Which is why you have to in the first level have memorized Moses. How will you know what or who the prophets are if Moses is not what pops up instantly in your head as mm-hmm. you read? Right. And in a, in a sense, the prophets don't make sense without a basic foundational understanding of who Moses is. Absolutely. Because the what the prophets taught and what the prophets preached and what they, you know, um, prophesied about all tied back into the first five books, right? The, the law, the books of Moses. So let's go into the, the second phase of education, right? So the first phase was uh, bait safer, and that was for children ages six to 10 years of age. And during Mm -hmm. that time, they memorized the first five books of Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And then um, from ages 10 to 14, the education shifts a little bit. Uh, Now, uh, young girls are, they're done. Right. So this is now just for the gentlemen, just for the boys. And they enter what's called uh, Beit Talmud, uh, which is a house of learning. And by the way, not any boy could attend Beit Talmud. What do you mean by that? Like it's the next stage, right? It is the next stage, but only the best students from the first stage would be welcome to attend the second stage. So, so like, you can get cut from high school? Pretty much. So, in the first stage, everyone's in boys, girls, age 6 to 10. You got to know your Moses or you can't really be a productive member of society. Right. But but you have to apply for or be approved of by someone in order to get in to Bates Talmud. And, and women are out, girl, little girls are out. They're, they're gone home to learn, you know, 
the domestic engineering side of Jewish life. Yes, right. They <laughs> and, become homemakers, essentially. Right. Well, I'm trying to, uh, you know, I feel bad. I, I'm a feminist, so I feel bad for, for, for women whenever I talk about the Jewish history. And I'm, right. not, speak, I'm not speaking anti-Semitic either. It's just the time right. of the world it was. Um, yeah. so, so they're out. And then even like, so the pool is, is being shrunk as to who qualifies, but you're telling me not only did the pool get cut by 50%, but then of the 50% left, only the very best of them get to advance to the next round. Right. The ones who showed uh, competency. Right. And the emphasis was on memorization. So I think it's safe to assume that it's those that showed that they could, that they had memorized uh, the first five books of Moses. And so they would get, um, they would get tested. Um, And so uh, they would, they would go through what was called, um, it was an exercise called Remez. And in this exercise, what they would do is uh, the rabbis would call out a passage of scripture, right? They would just start quoting a passage of scripture. And then these students would have to quote what came before and what came after that passage. So that was them proving that they had, in fact, memorized what they were supposed to memorize in Beit Safer, the first stage of learning. So just imagine, you know, going to church and your pastor is, you know, he quotes John 3.16, right? God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And now he says, all right, what, what was the verse before? Ah, what was the verse after God did not come to condemn the world, but yes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, so if you couldn't do that, then you would not be invited to attend Talmud because Beit Talmud moved on from the first five books of Moses. And now you had to memorize the rest of the old Testament. That's a lot of stuff. Like David alone, Psalms alone, like yeah, <laughs> and Job alone, way, yeah, and and by the way, you had about another five years, right, until they're about the age of fourteen, right. So you had from age ten to age fourteen, if you were good at memorizing and you showed that you did memorize the first five books of Moses, then you would be invited for Bet Talmud, and then you had to memorize way more books in the same amount of time because you had to memorize the rest of the Old Testament. I believe the Old Testament has 39 books, right? So after the first five, you have 34 more books to memorize in about four or five years. Brutal. <laughs> Brutal. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it's an insane educational problem. And we complain about education today. I mean, these kids had to memorize a vast amount of information. Dude, um, I'm, and they had to do it in a timely manner. Dude, I'm already feeling bad for your students when you go back 
in the fall. I, I just know you're going to pull out this podcast or you're going to you're going to pull out this lesson plan. You're going to say, you think my homework assignments are hard? Wait till you see what people your age were doing. Yes. Uh, and I have actually mentioned this to my students, um, especially when I do assign them uh, a memory verse. And by the way, I don't assign them nearly as much um, as other teachers do. But when I do assign them, you know, and they complain, I'm like, hey, just be glad that I'm not asking you to memorize the rest of the Old Testament. Okay. At least be happy that I'm not doing that uh, because that's what Jesus would have done. All right. You want to talk about being like Jesus? That's what he would have done. Wow. Uh, usually they, usually they, they'll take the one or two verses that, that I assign. So yeah, that's, that's bet uh, Talmud. Um, and so by the age of 14, by the time a young Jewish person celebrates their bar mitzvah and they are now considered an adult, mm -hmm. they would have, or at least the best of the best, the good memorizers would have learned the entire Old Testament by heart. Yeah, when I was in Jerusalem at the Wailing Wall, or the West Wall, I guess we would call it now, uh, they were doing bar mitzvahs. And um, th the young boys who were who were doing their bar mitzvah go into the library part that's by the, the West Wall there, and, and they carry out the scrolls of the stuff they memorized, right? And they they parade with it down with their families, right? I'm not, I don't know if they still memorize all that. I doubt it. <laughs> but <laughs> it's a part of that tradition. Yeah, yeah. And again, you know, they are now, you know, they're memorizing the entire Bible for them, right? Because at this point, New Testament doesn't exist, right? Uh, so this is the their entire Bible. It's their scripture. And they have it all memorized, which is fascinating. And in some ways, I'm glad we don't make people do that today. Well, uh, we could institute that before baptism. Yeah, I know, right? Before you get <laughs> baptized, you got to at least know the first five books of Moses, people. No, but what is the final exam for this stage like? <laughs> the final exam for this? Right. So um, basically, after they have memorized, and by the way, they continue uh, with that process of of memorizing and know, you know, the the rabbi he calls out and he, you know, he says, "All right, here's the verse. What comes before? What comes after?" You know, uh, and so that continues throughout uh, Beit Talmud, the second stage. Oh, okay. And 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 so it's 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 the entire process, right? Uh, there, it's kind of like uh, a test, right? So periodically. The rabbi, just to make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, he would go through this exercise called Ramez. Um, and so when they finished Beit Talmud, then they have to, it's kind of like a college entrance, right? They now have to apply to a quote unquote uh, college. And what do I mean by that? I mean that they now have to go out and search for a rabbi that they want to basically be like. And so they would go up 
to that rabbi, and they would say to that rabbi, um, actually, I have it written down here. This is what they would say. They would say, Rabbi, I want to become your disciple, your Talmudim, your student. Please let me in your Beit Midrash, your house of study. And so they would walk up to this, to this rabbi. They would basically say, hey, I want to be your disciple. I want to be your student. I want to be like you. Will you let me into your Beit Midrash, which is the last and final stage of religious education? And then the rabbi would examine that student and they would ask them a lot of questions about the Old Testament to try and figure out if this person that is asking to be their follower, number one, knows their stuff, right. and number two, has a brain to start connecting things. The dots, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, to right. start connecting the dots. Because this is a house thing, of learning, right? This is a house right? of learning now. So it's, it's one thing to have everything memorized, but it's a completely different thing to understand how everything that you've memorized connects with one another. And so the rabbi would test them and ask them questions to see if they have that ability to connect the dots, right? To connect what uh, the prophet Isaiah says with what Moses said, right? Do they have the ability to, to see how they work together and how they are referring to the same thing? And so if the rabbi felt as though this student was worthy, right? They knew their stuff. They could connect the dots and was worthy to be one of their students, one of their disciples, one of their followers. Then the rabbi would say, lech acharai, right? Which is Aramaic for come, follow me. Uh, where have I heard that? Yeah, which is exactly, right? Which is exactly what Jesus says to the disciples that he called. Now, now, now that phrase you just said, come follow me, um, did you read it from Aramaic or Hebrew or Greek? What, what was the language? For, for, I, I want to I wanna say that a few times here. I want my listeners to be able to learn that phrase. Yes, so I said lech acharai, which is uh, which is Aramaic, which was the common language um, that the Jewish people spoke at the time. So they would read Hebrew, but they would speak Aramaic, um, and and so yeah, lech acharai. That's what they would say. Uh, Come, follow me, and that signaled to that student that he was accepted. Now, was right. there like was there like community college version rabbis and <laughs> and four year school version? Did, did everyone Look, I, find I imagine, a place? Yeah, I well, I imagine that there were rabbis that carry different levels of prestige. So I assume that there are some rabbis that are more popular, the ones that people really want to be disciples of, versus some others. Um, but you know. If you didn't find a rabbi who would say, to you, come follow me, 
If you didn't find a rabbi to do that, that was it. That was the end of your education. You had to go back to your house and learn a trade, usually the trade of your father, carpentry, fishing, you know, things like that, masonry. And, and you would settle into some sort of trade to support yourself and your family. So, so it would be the goal of anyone who could. Again, when we talked about the different sects and political movements within Second Temple Judaism, you know, we identified the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the Zealots. And what we said is, you know, the most popular group were the Pharisees. And we talked about the way into the Pharisees was through rabbinical training. So even if you weren't born into the right group, you could advance yourself in life right. by entry into the pharmaceutical sect through becoming a rabbi. And so what we see here is kids or families who may have been in poverty. I mean, everyone was in poverty if you weren't someone special. Um, you irked out a living in a desert-like area with some water, you know, like seas and so forth. Um, to become a rabbi would be like both like, I'm fulfilling the will of God. But also really, like, there's no going off and becoming, you know, um, a Fortune 500 CEO or or there's no becoming, like, a plastic surgeon. You know, there's no becoming, like, a rock star or a basketball star. If, if you want to make something for yourself and your family, the way out of fishery, being a fisherman, the way out of carpentry, the, the way out of manual labor for the rest of your life is to become a rabbi. And so what you're telling us, if I understand, is the only way to become a rabbi is to jump through these three hoops. Mm -hmm. And on that last hoop, pray to God, like literally. <laughs> yeah. A rabbi accepts you. Because if he doesn't, it's just the life of your father yeah. you have. If your father's a fisherman, get ready to fish. If your father's a builder, get ready to build. I mean, you could have an uncle who's a merchant and you could become a merchant. It's less demanding work, but kind of risky too. There, there is no real, unless you get into one of these elite groups in Palestine, everyone else is irking out an existence. Hmm. That's it. That's it. And, and, and you explained it beautifully, Vince, right? The only way out of common everyday life was to move up the ranks through religious education, right? To be somebody in Judaism. And of course, that route was through the rabbinical education, right? To one day become a rabbi yourself and be invited to be a Pharisee, right? And, and, and move up the ladder that way. Right. To become because, a, a teacher of teachers, so to speak. Right. Because I can't become a Sadducee unless I'm born in the priesthood or one of the supporting groups of the priesthood. Mm -hmm. 
No one wants to admit they're a zealot. <laughs> There's no prestige in being a zealot. You're a terrorist. <laughs> right. And, right? Rome, and Rome would find you and they would get rid of you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, you could be somebody if you want to hang out in the desert and take ritual bathing up as your hobby. I mean, that's all the Essenes were doing. They were hiding Which is out. It's still the- a life of poverty. If you think about it, they, they chose a life of poverty on purpose, right? A more intense one even. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the only way out was to become a rabbi. The pressure must be immense at this stage. Yeah. No, absolutely. For sure. And just think about the rejection, you know, um, because rabbis were very picky. They hate, that they whole thing them. is about the whole thing is about making rules and <laughs> and yeah. standards, right? Yeah, and and the reality was that once you chose, you were you were invited to follow in the footsteps of a rabbi. The saying would be, you know, may the dust from the sandals of the rabbi cover you. Right. And so that's a word picture that you are to follow your rabbi so closely that the dust from his sandal, right, would fall on you. And and that's just basically a way to say that the goal of these disciples of a rabbi was to essentially become exactly like the one that they are following. Yeah, so often people will ask me about some of the more extreme things Jesus says to his disciples. Mm-hmm. Particularly coming just to mind randomly is, is Luke 9, where, where, where Jesus says a number of really extreme things about being a disciple. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes people will come to me and say, Pastor, is this true? You know, Jesus says, you know, there's this guy that comes to Jesus in Luke 9. He's like, you know, I... I want to follow you, but uh, my dad died and, (laughs) you know, I need to go home and bury my dad. And Jesus is like, whoever puts their hand upon the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. Like the dude's like, I got to go bury my dad. (laughs) And Jesus is like, no turning back. And then like another guy wants to go look at property his family bought. And, and Jesus is like, no, you know, there's all these sort of things. And it makes sense to me when I understand if, if, if a rabbi finally says to you, come and follow me. And then you got like a bunch of these excuses, like, yeah, can I get the second semester? Can I pick this up next semester? Like, you know, you know, um, how long is this acceptance letter for? You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's just like Jesus is like saying, I'm not a second class rabbi. If you if, if you're going to follow me, you get up and you leave mm-hmm. town when I leave town. You're not going to know we're on the move and life is not going to be great. But this is your way up. Yeah. Yeah. And when you think about it, right, they would never say something like that to any other rabbi that they're trying to be a follower of. They would not be tolerated. Yeah, it would it would not be tolerated under any circumstances. Right. So uh, so why would you go to Jesus who, by the way, is a rabbi? 
right? Rabbis started teaching at age 30. Jesus starts his ministry at age 30. Like Jesus is taking the course of being a rabbi. He is a rabbi. He is a teacher in the fullest sense of the word. And, um, and so this idea that somebody would come to him and say, all right, I want to follow you, but no, that, 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 that doesn't exist in that culture. Right. So what Jesus says to him would not have been surprising to the people who lived in that time. It would have made perfect sense. Right. Right. I've heard it explained that, you know, this idea would be that every dad's dream is for like, just think about today. Every, every dad's dream is that their kid might go to Harvard or, or, you know, one of the Ivy league schools that they, they, they might, they might get this chance that, you know, like I didn't go to college. I was poor, but my kid's going to go to college. You know, mm-hmm. every parent wants better for their next generation. So, If your father's a fisherman, a merchant, or a builder, and you're like, I got to go check out the property for dad, or I got to bury dad. No, that's dishonoring the dad. Mm. Because dad's one dream for you Mm. is you might serve your country. You might serve your God. And you might lift your family out of abject poverty by becoming a rabbi. And so the way I've read it is there could be nothing more disrespectful to dad than to use him for an excuse. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating uh, system they had in place. Right. And of course, everything that they learned once they started following the rabbi was all about interpretation, right? So you begin learning how is it that your rabbi interprets the Old Testament and the law, right? And so uh, it became this thing about quoting, you know, other rabbis, right? And it's like, well, this rabbi says this. Rabbi this rabbi, meal and Yes, exactly. And so then it all, it turned into, all right, which school of thought are you in, right? Do you follow this rabbi or do you follow this rabbi? And, and based on which rabbi you followed would be how you would interpret the Bible. Um, and so you essentially became like your rabbi, because you basically now interpret scripture exactly like your rabbi. As once you become rabbi yourself, you can add on to the school of thought of your rabbi. Right. But you would never contradict the school of thought of your rabbi, right? Right. You have chosen the vein of rabbinical traditions, the oral traditions, as we called them before, mm-hmm. you've trained, you, you've chosen your vein of rabbinical trendi- traditions, mm-hmm. and you can build onto that vein, but you cannot subtract or cross over. There's no pluralistic thought, right? right. And that's why it, this, this, the teaching of your rabbi was called a yoke, right? Which is that thing that you put around the neck of an animal. 
right? When you're plowing your fields, it's that thing you put around the neck of your bull uh, to pull your um, your wagon or, or whatever it is that you're using to plow your fields, right? And so it was designed to keep an animal in place, right? So that it wouldn't move to the left or move to the right when it wasn't supposed to. Um, and so the rabbis called their teaching a yoke, and so these followers of, of their rabbis would take on the yoke of their rabbi. Is which, that what Jesus is talking about when he says his yoke is light? Yes. Jesus says, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. And so Jesus is standing, is putting himself in contrast to all of the other rabbis. And he is saying, look, all of these other rabbis, they put on this tight yoke on you. And you have to carry a large burden. But if you come and you follow me, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. I don't get caught up in all of these different schools of thoughts. I don't try to figure out what this rabbi had to say versus what this other rabbi had to say. My yoke is light because it goes and it, because it comes directly from the word of God, the scripture, the Old Testament. And, and, and that's what really made people be very, uh, they were astonished at Jesus's teaching because Jesus did not quote other rabbis. Jesus quoted scripture. Right. Which is why he would call out he would call out the, the the scribes and the Pharisees. Right. And he says, well, what does the scripture say? How do you read it? How do you? Yes, 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 yes. Not how does yes. this rabbi read it or the other rabbi? How do you read the scripture? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other way is the yoke of all the other rabbis was about putting fence upon fence upon fence of the law right jesus's yoke was about removing fence yes removing fence you have heard removing it said fence. you have yeah. heard it said but i say to you yes. <laughs> right so yeah. that's why the yoke that jesus brings is is easy and it is light because jesus says let's get down to the basic fundamental of the law, which is why he's able to, to summarize the law and the prophets, right? In, in, in the two greatest commands, right? Love the Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself upon these two hang all the law and the prophets love God, love your neighbor. That's the yoke of Jesus. That's the teaching of Jesus. And, that's easy for some. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I think about that story where this guy, he comes to Jesus and he's like, master, which is like, rabbi, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus is like, dude, what are you asking me for? You know what to do. Go do the law. <laughs> right like <laughs> Torah go do Torah man that's it's all you know be a good little Jew mm -hmm. and the guy's like Rabbi 
I've been doing this my whole life. I've, I, you know, I have kept the law perfectly. I've never missed a Passover. You know, I, you know, I give alms to the poor. You know, you, you know, I, I'm just like doing it all, man. But I'm not complete. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. There's something. I, I'm still here asking you. Hmm. Y- your answer does not quench my heart or my soul because I can do the things that Moses said to do things we all memorized as we we're little boys and it is not well with my soul and so Jesus says sell all you have hmm. like the ultimate expression of love hmm. to God and man sell all you have and give it to the poor. What do you say after that? You remember that, John? And he said, Lech acharai, come follow me. That has so much more meaning now. What must I do to be saved? And like, I, you know, a good Protestant, I'm always worried about Jesus' answer. Go do the law. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, I probably like Jesus. Well, you can't say that. Like, yes, if I'm going to correct Jesus, right? Yeah. <laughs> like Jesus, you. Can't. But but that's the whole point of Jesus and the law. Is he never? I always when I teach the Sermon on the Mount, I always say Jesus never paints the law as anorexic, hmm. but as complete and full. Hmm. And so when Jesus points the law out to this rich young ruler, he doesn't. He does it in a way that he knows it can't, the fullness of the law can't complete this person. And so he's like, the root of the issue is your heart. And I know what's in the way of your heart, <laughs> right? So sell all you have and come follow me. Wow. Yeah. What must I do to be saved? give up everything to follow Jesus. Like, I don't got a lot of money, but I got other issues. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have to worry about giving up my retirement. Not great retirement for pastors. You know, I don't have to worry about my Ferrari because I drive a Prius with a cracked Mm -hmm. windshield. (laughs) (laughs) And a missing hubcap at the moment. So yeah, it's not so hard to give that up, right? But what about my pride? What about my ego? Desire to be competitive with other people. Hmm. What about my favorite activities? What would I hold on to? What, the, the real question becomes, John, what is in my heart that prevents me from following Jesus the same way a 15-year-old boy would follow his rabbi until he was 30. Hmm. You know, to give everything, you know, that's the whole point of Luke 9, right? To give everything to follow our rabbi. And I think when we understand this rabbinical school, and I really love the way it's been explained here, we understand what it really means to follow Jesus. And... Yeah. And so this rich young ruler, it says, went away 
very sad hmm. because his possessions were many. Yeah. And yeah, right? He gave up the opportunity to follow Jesus because he valued his possessions more. Right. Right. Hmm. You know, when I was in undergrad, I had a professor who said, maybe this guy was who Jesus was trying to choose rather than Judas. Hmm. We don't see Judas being called by Jesus. We just see Judas imposing himself on the group. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Yeah. But look what we see here. Maybe there was room for Judas because this guy who was called by Jesus turned down the offer of Jesus. I mean, in English, like, come follow me. It's just like one of those things Jesus says. It's a, it's a Jesus-ese kind of thing. He just, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's cliche almost. Right, but it's not though, is it? You know? No, it, it isn't. Because the call by Jesus to follow him literally is the crossroads that all of us have to come to at some point or another. And all of us have to make that decision. Am mm -hmm. I going to follow Jesus? Mm -hmm. Or do I have something else that I would rather hold on to, that I would rather do, or that I would rather accomplish? And, 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 and by choosing something rather than Jesus, two things can happen. You can destroy yourself and you can lose the space, all the positive impact you would have made had you followed him. Hmm. So going back to the rich young ruler, not only is he not following Jesus, but he made room perhaps for Judas, but even if that's not the case, there are many young boys who will not be able to have him as rabbi. We are in the discipleship chain, a link to the salvation of other people. The kind of thing that just sort of pops in my mind when I think about stuff like this is Jesus' statement. Pick up your cross and follow me. me right Le and <laughs> there it is right <laughs> that jesus knees there right mm -hmm. <laughs> that that pick up your cross and follow me and this is the other thing i make clear to my my church because not only is follow me cliched so is pick up your cross <laughs> right like oh it's just the cross i gotta bear I got laid off work. It's the cross I got to bear. Or I don't like the in-laws. It's just the cross I got to bear, right? So cliched. No. In the world of Palestine, in the world of disciples, in the world of Jesus, 
No one picks up a cross who is not going to be crucified on it. Mm. It's the whole purpose of Simon the Korean who needs to come and help Jesus with the cross because you're expected to carry your own cross. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's not like they're going to kill you on the cross. You're expected to carry it yourself. So when Jesus is saying to his disciples, pick up your cross and follow me. He's saying, expect to die if I'm your rabbi. Wow. Yeah, but yeah, there are many ways to die. And it's not just, will I literally give my life for God? I mean, that's a question I sometimes ask myself. And I, if I'm honest, John, I, I can never know the answer mm-hmm. until you're there. Yeah. But the rich young ruler, he teaches us there's more than one way to die. And he was not willing to die to the great possessions he had in life to follow the rabbi. He was not willing to die to his lifestyle to follow the rabbi. He was not willing to die to his privilege to follow the rabbi. He was not willing to give up the temporal things of this world when personally invited by Jesus to become one of his personal disciples. And there's a lesson there for us. You know, when when we think about it, when we come to that crossroad Hmm. and Jesus is inviting us, Mm -hmm. he's calling out to us. He's saying, Lech, Acharai, come, follow me. What has to die? Right. What has to die in my life? What has to die so that I can truly follow Jesus? I think that answer is different for for every person. Mm -hmm. But we all have to think about that. We all have to think, what has to die? So that I don't make the same mistake that this rich young ruler made because the reality is that when we do follow Jesus and we make the decision to die to whatever we need to die so that we can follow Jesus we begin a new life or as Jesus puts it the abundant life the life that we were always meant to live John 10, 10, my favorite verse. (laughs) Yeah. You have been listening to a podcast produced by simplyvinny.com. Stop by our website, read our blog, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and all that 
jazzy promotional stuff. But remember, I'm the podcaster that likes to remind you when life throws a monkey wrench at your head. Jesus is still the logo, the reason, the logic, the word that builds your life. Back all the way to the kingdom of God. Until next time, God will be blessing you. See you at the next podcast.